Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome back to New Books in History. I'm Mark Clovis, your host for the channel. Today we're talking with Ian West about his new book, Technology in the Country House, which he co-authored with Marilyn Palmer. Ian, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Mark. I wonder if you could start us off by... T- Hello, everyone, and welcome back to New Books in History. I'm Mark Clovis, your host for the channel. Today, we're talking with Ian West about his new book, Technology in the Country House, which he co-authored with Marilyn Palmer. Ian, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Mark. I wonder if you could start us off by telling us something about yourself. Right. OK. Well, I'm, I was originally an engineer in the natural gas industry for 30 years until I got bored with it. So I became an archaeologist. I reinvented myself uh, and went off to study uh, archaeology, specialising in the archaeology of what, 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 what Americans would call historical archaeology, the sort of um, the, particularly the industrial period. Uh, and um, I went off and did a master's in that. And then I, I, I enjoyed it so much I carried on and did a PhD uh, doctorate in, uh, in, in archaeology, again, looking at the sort of um, well, looking at um, industrialization and uh, textile mills in particular in the UK. Um, and uh, uh, just to sort of uh, um, bring my co-author in at this point, uh, Marilyn was my was my PhD supervisor while I was doing uh, doing my doctorate, and um, she was nearing retirement. And this was a, this was basically her sort of uh, swan song, and uh, she 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 dragged me along to uh, to help her with the research and to help her with writing the book. So uh, so that's how Marilyn and I got together. She was she was my supervisor, and now she's my co-author. What interested the two of you in this subject in particular? Because there's a lot written about country houses, but this idea of technology, which uh, you know, as presented in the book, is, is a really fascinating subject in, uh, on a number of different levels. But what drew you to, drew you to that uh, aspect of 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 the sub uh, of that subject in particular? Okay. Um, well, I, 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 at this point, I, I mean, I, I will speak briefly on on Marilyn's behalf. She. She actually um, has has a background. She grew up uh, in 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 the the the, the, uh, the below stairs areas of country houses because her parents were both in the in in the last days of service in country house. But just after the war, um, her father was a butler and her mother was a housekeeper. So she has a she, she I think she's had a lifelong interest in in country houses because that's where you know, that she grew up in them, if you like. Um, uh, but um, uh, her and my speciality has been. Um, the archaeology of particularly of industry um, and and uh, this is the sort of manifestation of industry in the country house because um, country houses in some cases in their estates they had what what we could regard as as industrial enterprises and and industrial types of uh, of equipment and systems and processes going on in the estates and and we are what we 're talking about are the sort of manifestations of things like um, you know energy production for example um in, in in a domestic setting so that that's 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 uh, if you like that's our angle into the in into the uh, in into the country house because that's the, the sort of the industrialization if you like of of the uh, of the country house estate as an aspect of that you uh early on in the book you address this question uh about uh the dynamic between the introduction of technology and the role of servants in the household. And, and that brings us to, I think, what's a, a good entry point into the book, which is this issue of, the, broadly speaking, the role of technology in the country house compared to what had been the case prior to the introduction of all these technologies, starting in the at the end of the 18th century, going on into the 20th, which is the, the area of the focus of your book. How did country houses operate before all of these technologies were introduced and 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 how have we interpreted or misinterpreted perhaps 
that dynamic between uh, the servants and the technology? Well, I think you we probably sort of perhaps look 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 slightly further back um, and, and and the period sort of like the pre-industrial period when there were nevertheless the, what you could regard as changes in technology which um, helped uh, or, or perhaps were driven by the, the changes in the way uh, people lived in in in, in country houses, um, and, but also um, facilitated those changes. Uh, for example. Uh, in their early days, country houses were castles. They were they were fortified manors, and the the, the families and and their servants, their retinue, um, uh, lived really uh, uh, clo- closely side by side. Uh, in, in often, you know, in one space in the medieval uh, sort of fortified manor houses with with big halls and so on. And then through through the medieval period, you've got a, you've got a greater desire for the for the for the the elite. To, to have privacy so they start living separately from their servants and so you get um you get houses with lots of rooms and so lots of rooms need fireplaces and so on so you get the evolution if you like of of the house with 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 its heating and, and all of this um all of this creates extra work the servants are no longer next to the, ne- ne- next to the, the family and and uh, you get specialization in the way that the houses were were, were uh, design special in you know, separate areas for different uh, different tasks and so on uh, so it in a sense it, it was a gradual evolution what that what then happened obviously sort of the period we're looking at focusing on particularly is from the mid 18th century um, where uh, you, you've got uh, in process of industrialization new materials new new uh, new technologies and so on available which uh, uh, sort of um, uh, hasten accelerate this process really, um, but um, perhaps the, one of the things that I think perhaps perhaps you're, you're getting at is is the degree to which these the, these um, these innovations are are there or, or how 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 they how they uh, impact upon the servants I guess is that's what that's that, that's that's what, is that what you're getting at? Well, that's part of it, but there's also this other aspect which you address in the book, which is the argument as to sort of whether did the technology uh was the technology introduced to replace uh departing servants yeah. or was it in fact the technology introduced and you be, and, and the reliance upon servants became yeah, less yeah yeah that 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 is what that's what I was um, I was I was uh, heading towards. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think it's been generally sort of a misunderstood. There's been a misapprehension that uh, that, um, that people in, invested in new technology to enable them to to have fewer servants. Mm-hmm. And, and and there's no no real evidence of that not not certainly not through until the early 20th century when you start seeing things coming through that that, that and, and uh, uh, innovations which which are deliberately aimed at reducing workload, reducing the servants, because at that stage servants were expensive and they were in short supply. But up to that point, up until, up until the early 20th century, really, the, the focus was on improving comfort, first of all, um, of, of, the, of, the, uh, of the occupants, um, and in, improving their prestige in terms of the way they impressed their, their, their guests. So the country house moved from the medieval period when it was still very much a sort of a fortified place that you sort of kept your neighbours out to um, uh, by the time we get to the 17th century, it's a place where you want your neighbours to come in and be impressed. Uh, and so you want the house to, to be comfortable and you know you want it to be opulent, you want it to, to be well lit and, and, and impressive in lots of ways. And you want it to function uh, almost invisibly. So you know you want your servants uh, beavering away in the background so that you can't see them. So so the focus is not really on on reducing servants servant numbers. In fact, some of the technologies like like um, electric lighting, for example, which is very uh, um, sort of readily embraced by country house owners, and they, a lot of tech pioneering work on on electric lighting uh, happened in country houses. Um, it, you know that increased the numbers of people they wanted. It didn't reduce them. Um, so it was very much about uh, first of all comfort for for the family uh, and and uh, the 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 image they presented uh, to their to their guests. Another aspect of that that uh, also comes across in your book is that. As you point out, not only did the technology not necessarily reduce the number of workers, uh, but also that is this technology oftentimes required those servants to be far more uh, knowledgeable, more, more, more technologically gifted, better trained. 
and in that yes. sense was you know uh, in some respects more of a challenge in terms of staffing than if they had simply stuck with the old ways of of hauling chamber pots and and and, and lighting <laughs> yes. candles. <laughs> yes, yes, that's that's that that's certainly true. Um, uh, it, but also in some in some cases um, uh, there was if necessary to bring uh, specialists in, uh, and you get that. Uh, you got that with electric lighting. You got that with the, with with the, with the motor car, um, and uh, you, you know you need you needed skilled people who 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 weren't didn't exist on the on the estate. Sometimes the, the estate workers were sent away to be trained, uh, and sometimes you brought people in. And um, bringing people in to to the clo- hitherto closed world of the of the country house estate often brought its problems because these were people who um, you know who, who had a very different background who didn't necessarily have generations of of, uh, of history of subservience to their to their sort of feudal lord uh, and, and therefore had very different social attitudes uh, so that that was a, you know, often a cause of tension and uh, these, these people would come in with, with, with different uh, from a different environment really but 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 yes uh, in, in, in many ways uh, the, 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 the the servants had, had you know, were, were embracing new new technology some not always not always willingly. And this gets to another aspect of country houses that I must confess I didn't really fully appreciate until I read this book, which is the degree to which they had to be self-sufficient. And it's one of these uh, very self-evident things that is so obvious once it's made clear. But it really doesn't come across as uh, as clearly as it does when you talk about this technology. I mean, nowadays, we read about these comforts, electric lighting, uh, sewage, and so forth, and we think about connecting to these grids. And yet when yes. you talk about these country houses, especially in the 19th century, they're out in the middle of nowhere. They have to, in effect, create their own systems and, and, and infrastructure from scratch. And, that, and the challenge that poses in terms of expertise and expense. Yes, that, yes, that, 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 that is a, a, an important factor and a, and a very sort of um, distinctive factor, which, which makes country houses different, for example, from the, from the, the, the grand townhouses, the same, same families owned uh, in, in cities like London. Um, but, but, but the, the country, the country, the, the estate was to some extent a, a, a self-sufficient bubble um, before that, because it was, you know, it had to have water supply from somewhere, um, and it might have been, you know, it could have just been from a stream, river, or or, or a lake, or or wells, or whatever. Um, and and they were self-sufficient very often in terms of their, uh, you know, their, their food supplies uh, from 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 their their own farms and so on. So so they were. Through before the industrial period, really self-sufficient, but but obviously, if they wanted the the, the fruits of industrialization, the comforts that, that technology could bring, they still had to be self-sufficient. So so when gaslighting came along, they had to build their own gas works, uh, and then you know, and and and, they, and when when they needed realized that uh, the water from the local rivers was no longer um, healthy to drink, they had to put in their own sort of uh, improved water supplies and they had to get rid of their sewage and and as you say uh, electric lighting and so on later so yes it is an important important distinction and it, and it, and it, it often um these these sort of relics of their self-sufficiency are the uh, the most some of the most important early early examples of this technology because in other in other situations uh, it it is gone but on the country house estates a lot of the archaeological evidence is still there because they didn't really get rid of much, a lot of them. I wonder if, uh, before we get into some of the examples of this invasion, you could you could speak a bit about this relationship between the industrial archaeology and uh, the uh, evidence that that we uh, that it provides for us. And basically, how do we use archaeology to understand this stuff today? I mean, how do we use it to understand? Uh, the the you know how, how do we how can we use that to to access this aspect of history? Okay, um, well I think I think uh, you're you're right to emphasise the, the archaeological nature of our work, and and that's that is one aspect in which it, it was um, it is uh, perhaps unique. People have written um, either you know not 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 in such depth as we have, but but uh, um, briefly about. Uh, the uh, the introduction of technology and and uh, 
these these these, these sort of new new comforts and so on. But from a historical perspective, now one of the one of the key aspects for, for us is is to look look for the physical remains because the physical remains tell you what 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 actually happened. Uh, and and you, we we can look in look in the archives of of houses and their account books and so on and find correspondence about all sorts of wonderful things that people were trying to sell to uh, to the owners of country houses uh and 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 uh, you, people often make the mistake of assuming because you've got estimates and 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 uh, specifications and things all this stuff that actually got built uh whereas our, our approach is to is to start with look at what's look at what the physical evidence is in terms of uh, uh either in the house we're looking at, you know, looking at the, looking at the, 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 the pipes and the wires and things like that. Um, and but also in, in the estate as well uh, to understand, well, what did they actually do to match? The, and then then you can go and look at the historical evidence and, 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 and tie that up to the, to the physical remains. So so being archaeologists, it gives it gave us a, a different approach to to to, to that which other people had used and, and means that we, we do actually then you know, we avoid mistakes uh, of, of either looking at, um, uh, at historical information, which is misleading because it relates to things that were, were, were proposed and never, never actually completed. Or um, sometimes you look at physical objects uh, in, in a house and they've been brought in um, uh, either, either you know, by their original owners or, or often by in the early days of, of, of the heritage bodies who own most of these houses. They, they wanted to restore houses and so they, they put things in sometimes which were um, not actually original to the house and, and incongruous. So, so we have to have a, a, a sort of um, not just look at the object but look at the object in its, in its context uh, to understand, to make sure that it, it does actually belong where it is. So that's, if you like, that, that, that's, that's what the archaeological approach brings we, we we start off with the um the, the, the physical uh artifacts uh be they you know, j- just just simple uh, little little light fittings or, or bells or whatever and then um then sort of extrapolate that out to the to the whole system so um uh, and that that's that's the same approach we would take with with any with any uh, sort of um uh, building really you know industrial site for example you start with the physical remains and then try and uh, uh, use the historical information to interpret the physical remains rather than starting with the historical information. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. Um, one of, and of course, the uh, single largest piece of technology that you address in the book is the physical structure of the house itself. And I had never really thought of it about that way. But as you explain in, in, in this book and, and as you illustrate, and I have to say that this is a book that is very generously illustrated with numerous pictures of, of uh, uh, demonstrating uh, some of the things you're talking about is that often is that the buildings themselves were often designed or, or, re, or, uh, or grafted with innovations such as with heating. You, you described yes. some of the early uh, designs when it comes to heating a house uh, that yes. involve, and I, I was wondering if you could perhaps elaborate upon some of the ways in which these houses were built or rebuilt to provide better heating than just the open hearth fireplace. Yes. Okay. I mean, that, that, that perhaps one one point to say say at the outset is that that most of these systems were not particularly um, uh, effective, and 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 there was still a reliance on the on the open open fireplace right through and until the middle of the twentieth century, really. But nevertheless, uh, people worked very hard and invested a lot of money to try and keep these vast houses. Uh, a little, uh, a little less chilly than they otherwise would have been, um, and and um, it didn't really. The end of the nineteenth, end of the eighteenth century, rather, is 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 when um, um, we start seeing sort of uh, technology coming into play and 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 what we would regard as a cent- centralised heating systems, and that was technology which was brought in from textile mills. So hence, hence, hence another another reason why those of us who who, who sort of main uh, archaeological interest to things like factories and so on. Um, uh, this is this is natural territory for us because a lot of the technologies came from that direction, uh, and so so warm air heating um, systems, which were which were pioneered for textile mills, uh, started to be used in in country houses. But they were very difficult to retrofit into an existing house, especially an old house, a you know a medieval house, because you need large ducts under the floors and in the walls and things to convey the war- the warm air, and especially you are relying on convection to carry the, the the warm air around you've got no fans or anything so it, you know these ducts need to be large with, with a furnace 
or boiler or something in the in the basement um in the cellars of the house and the warm air rising through these ducts into the house so it 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 was difficult to to fit into existing houses but an awful lot of houses were built from scratch in, in from in the throughout particularly the first half of the 19th century there was a big big uh, uh, period of of uh, house building um and and so you could incorporate these sorts of uh, these sorts of uh, in, innovations as, from the outset so heating was was easy to do in that respect um and and that was that was the systems that were used in country houses throughout the 19th century were mainly uh, some some form of of conveying heated air air taken from the outside heated and then um ducted around the house into the rooms people didn't the idea that you heated the room the air that was already in the room by means of 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 what we would call radiators uh was 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 uh, was very strongly condemned by the medical medical profession it was deemed to be very uh, unhygienic so the, uh, the the sorts of systems that we that we use today with uh, with with, with like like um water heated radiators in the rooms were were really not um not considered uh, appropriate until the end of the 19th century but but certainly warm air systems were 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 very were very important for the houses that were built in that period it's not just the houses though uh as you describe in one of your early chapters you also have the creation of these uh greenhouses and garden walls and this gets to this interesting uh, contiguous development, uh, which is the expansion of empire during the 18th century, you start to see these country houses wanting these uh, exotic plants, especially uh, 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 fruit-bearing plants. And this is where you yes. get uh, orangeries and greenhouses. And there, because they don't have to, they don't have to redesign the, the or uh, or build a brand new uh, a country house. They are building these uh, adjunct structures. And incorporating the designs there, and, and I thought it was fascinating. Uh, you, you these these structures I've seen before, like your uh, like the, the the furnace that they built into the heating walls, and you, you describe how yes. that that is sort of an early technology and, and and why it was unsuccessful. But there you're seeing an example of how maybe they couldn't build into the house itself, but they were definitely incorporating this technology to improve their lives and and in a way increase their status. Yes, yes, it's, 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 status is is very much the the uh, the driving uh, force here. Impressing impressing your dinner guests, impressing the, your visitors. So you've got two aspects to that you've you've got the ornamental aspects of of the gardens and and uh, the sort of develops in in in, um, in in water supply with pumps, for example, were often uh, uh, used first to provide provide water to the gardens. Uh, before they before they were deemed uh, um, sort of um, appropriate to to be used for providing water for houses, uh, so quite a few of the of the of, of the systems and and the technology uh, for water supply uh, was first first adopted to, to to provide water for fountains and water features and so on. So that's one aspect of it. And the other aspect, as you say, is is the, is the growing of exotic fruits. Pine the pineapple was was the sort of um, the, um, uh, the, the the crowning glory of of, of a, of a table and a grand dinner um, pineapples were deemed to be so exotic and, and, and it's very strong symbolism you'll see the pineapple as a as a as a architectural symbol on on buildings on on gate pillars and on on, on buildings and so on it was a it was a very uh, it had a lot of symbolism attached to it uh but so if you could grow your own pineapples you know that was that was that was because apart from anything else it was hugely labor intensive um, a bit like you know having having a brightly lit dining room was very expensive and, and labor intensive because you need a lot of people to tend tend the candles and the lamps and so on um have you know having these these fruit grown in your own houses was a demonstration you've got you you could afford to employ an awful lot of gardeners to uh, to make to, to to sort of round the clock almost look after these delicate plants and the the way that the pineapples were grown with in, uh, with, in pits with uh, with uh, manure um, mixed into the soil to warm the soil, uh, is, it just took a huge amount of effort. So they were great demonstrations of wealth and, and sophistication. And they were also great demonstrations of technology because even with the resources they possessed, as you described, the technology really is essential to making it viable, even with the labor that they have available to them in yes. the 18th and 19th centuries. Yes, yes. You, you, what, what you're getting in from the, the late 18th century is, is things like increased use of, of, of iron for structures for, for um, 
for greenhouses and, and, and orange trees and so on, and the the ability to make glass in larger panes. So that, so that these things all come together, all part of you know the, the, the industrialization, if you like, from the from, from the end of the eighteenth century, iron and glass. So you can build these wonderful uh, glass houses, and then you have heating systems which enable you to heat them. Um, and so they all come together, uh, and they're all driven. You know, if you like, the, the, these technologies were driven by people wanting to spend large amounts of money to, uh, to 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 grow these plants to impress their guests. One aspect of industrialization that does get a lot of attention, of course, is pollution. And as you've already alluded to, one of the challenges they were facing during this period was the growing problem of polluted water supply. It's not a new one. It goes all the way back to humans using rivers as uh, disposal uh, points for all sorts of awful and so forth. But that problem seems to be growing. And you described the ways in which they were innovating with uh, you know, in terms of going up uh, further upstream to uh, draw water supplies, drawing wells, and how this required a large uh, uh, investment in infrastructure to make it all work. Yes, I mean, but yes, getting clean water. This this was a um, a nineteenth century phenomenon as as greater realization that the of the sort of the the, the health problems associated with contaminated water, which was very much from the mid 19th century onwards people then began to devote more attention to uh, to, to to sourcing cl- uh, cleaner water from from uh, from springs and boreholes and so on uh, it was it was but it it took a long time before they actually started to do anything about the sewage the sewage they just dumped down down in downstream um somebody else's problem so it really wasn't until the end of the 19th century you got any science uh, and an and investment devoted to um safely disposing of the waste but 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 certainly uh throughout the 19th century people became increasingly focused on on the the health of their or the, the clean, cleanliness of their water when I read about the introduction of septic systems, I was thinking about how uh, how similar that is today to so many people that live in remote areas and very much rely upon those systems as their primary means of waste disposal. And it, it's just so funny to read about it as this innovatory technology to that uh, that they were very tentatively applying to. And yet, you know, it's an example of how it was a pioneering of what has now become commonplace in, in, in such circumstances. Yes, yes, yes. I mean that that technology is is, is essentially still in use, um, uh, uh, both on on a sort of um, you know individual basis for remote properties, and and indeed for a lot of um, uh, uh, municipal public uh, public sewage systems. And a, a lot of the uh, certainly until relatively recently, that technology had not been had not been superseded. You describe the water supply, but if but of course, it's not really the most dramatic innovation when it comes to water because it's also what you also see during this period is the growing effort to supply water to the houses themselves and this is something that recurs throughout your book because it deals with both the infrastructure of building uh uh, you know introducing uh plumbing and also the uh ancillary parts of heating it And, and you have many pictures of the baths the the uh showers that they were building and, and I was wondering if you could speak to some of the challenges they faced there in terms of uh, plumbing. I mean, something that goes back to the Romans, yet, uh, you know, at the very least, is something you would think that would be already in place. And yet you describe that this was really an age at which indoor plumbing becomes so much more commonplace in these houses. Yeah, it took a, it, it was quite, um, in a sense, quite slow to be adopted. I mean, there are a few examples, a few houses were, were um uh, having piped water supplies in 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 the 18th century, cold water that is, uh, but but it, it it was probably still not common until the second half of the 19th century, and and and, and uh, in in the in the upper floors of the house anyway, you might have you might have piped water uh, in 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 the kitchens and laundries and things like that, uh, but but uh, uh, water supplies in the on um, the bedrooms and so on and and and, and for bathing um, was were being brought up. Um, especially if you wanted hot water, because there was no means of of heating the water. So the, this this was really um, the, 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 towards the end of the nineteenth century, before uh, uh, piped hot and cold water supplies, and therefore baths and showers and things like that became 
really um, widely used. And, and even then, it was in, in a lot of houses didn't really have it until the end of the 19th century. Uh, so, yes, the, the, the technology was in theory it was it, it was available in practice it was not very reliable and so it, it uh it was quite slow to be adopted one of my favorite pictures in the book is a relatively mundane one it's the first picture you have in chapter three which is of a wooden water pipe and i can understand why you don't see these too often because obviously this these are the, these types of pipes really are, are unlikely to endure for centuries and it, it really that, that picture in itself does demonstrate a lot of the challenges of simply supplying these houses. Yes, yes, I, yes. I, I had to fight to get that. I had to fight to get that picture in the book, actually, because other people thought it was a little, um, a little, little boring, really. But I, I, I agree with you. It is, it is important. It's a potent symbol, really. Um, and and the, the wooden. There's an awful, probably still an awful lot of wooden pipes in the ground somewhere because they, 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 um, they, they survived quite well in some conditions but and yes until the um really end of end of the 18th early 19th century the technology wasn't there for for making cast iron pipes um and so um and it, you could you, it was uneconomic to use lead for long distances lead piping was used internally in the houses uh but uh but and uh, and sometimes uh copper or um but but, but often lead but it, you couldn't use that for long distances so you basically you either had open channels which is you know, or, or, or sometimes you might have clay pipes but mostly wood and um so that was it that was again another uh, an, a, 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 it was a break on on these sorts of um uh, uh, infrastructure until the technology was around to make uh to, to, to make iron pipes for the uh, in, in large quantities did the condition of these early pipes inhibit some of the technologies? Because I'm, I'm wondering about this dynamic of technology integration, how, for example, you have these early pipes of wood and, and lead that are designed maybe for a certain uh, flow of water, and how, as you start to see uh, uh, steam pumps and so forth being introduced, the degree to which the piping simply is not designed to handle water that could be introduced at a more uh, rapid flow. And whether or not that yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, it's certainly um, that there's a great limit on the on the capacity of these systems. So, that, so that water, you know, piped water is a is is, is therefore you know a, a precious commodity. Um, and and uh, if you think about the fact that in a lot of cases it was it was actually still it was being used used in the gardens. Uh, we were you were perhaps only doing that when you know when, when you you didn't turn it on until the visitors came. Uh, so, so that to impress them, you didn't have it running all the time. Um, so yes, that the, 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 there's definitely a, a constraint on the, on the capacity of these of these systems because you know the, the, the limit the size that you could make wooden pipes and, and the economics of all of that really until um, and, and until we get into the to, to the early early 1800s, the early 19th century. This gets to one of the important. Uh, aspects of technology, technological introduction and innovation, which is how it changes the way lives are lived in the house. And you describe this in the third chapter when you talk about how you start to see the expansion of bathrooms and how uh, th this makes uh, possible all sorts of new innovations. I was wondering if you could talk a bit about that relationship when it came to uh, uh, showers and, and baths and, and, uh, uh, and so forth in terms of you know how this technology enables those those changes to proceed yeah one thing you have to bear in mind is there's a certain amount of inertia um amongst the uh, the, the house owning um and class if you like and, and their guests which meant that um very often they they even when it was perfectly feasible to have um plumbed in bathrooms and showers and so on uh it 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 was they preferred to still have a, uh, you know, a, 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 what we would call a hip bath filled by hand sitting, you know, bathe in front of the fire in their dressing rooms. Um, part of it was was perhaps, you know, a, a reluctance to, to, to leave the warmth of their dressing room to go down to, to go to the next door to a, to, a, to a less warm bathroom. But I think there's there's, there's a sort of um, almost a a, a, um, a a prejudice here as a sort of snobbery, really, that um, that uh, 
fixed bathrooms uh or we like ensuite bathrooms if you like was something was a, was a bit was a bit of a bourgeois thing and and the gentlemen's did gentlemen didn't you didn't do that they bathed in front of the fire so there's a little bit of a sort of social stigma uh interestingly um one of the first people to install a, a, a fixed shower uh, in, in, attached to their bathroom was Queen Victoria or Victoria and Albert in at Osborne, and and they did they, they, they did lots in a, in a way to sort of um, uh, break down some of these prejudices. The same happened with lifts, passenger lifts. Uh, people were, people felt the same about passenger lifts. It was the, the gentleman used the stairs. Uh, you know, lifts were things you got in in hotels. You didn't have them in your house, um, and the same with same with bathrooms. So that that there is that, that there's, there's there's obviously a, a, a technical constraint that meant that you couldn't really have piped hot water until uh, sort of the second half of 19th century because the systems were not very uh, not very reliable uh but also there were there, there were uh cultural prejudices against these things until until relatively late so you you get and the same same to some extent with with flushing toilets um you might get bathrooms and some houses bathrooms and flushing toilets for their servants before they were put in in the areas for the families and their guests, because the families and their guests families and their guests had servants who would empty the baths and empty the chamber pots and so on. So, so uh, you know, there is a, there there are not just technological constraints, but also cultural ones. Another area where you see this uh, slow uh, um, replacement of technology uh, that you describe in some detail is when it comes to food preparation. And mm-hmm. you you uh, describe in that chapter about how this is one of the most uh, heavily written about uh, uh, aspects of a country house. And you go into details to how uh, food preparation uh, was changed by all these technologies. What if you can go to some detail about that, maybe in terms of how food originally was prepared and how and the technologies that were changing that? Yes, um, it's, there was some. Um, Right, almost sort of from prehistory until till fairly recently, it was it was considered the only way to cook meat. For example, was was in front of a, a an open fire just just by roasting with radiant heat, and um, uh, that that was really not uh, that 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 idea uh, held sway really until the beginning of the twentieth century, and so uh, people were people were were reluctant to put in. Uh, large ovens, for example, for for for, for cooking things like um, uh, meat, uh, because that was not it was deemed not to be a very satisfied way, satisfactory way to cook, and um, uh, pans were were uh, were heated either on open fires or on charcoal stoves, um, which is obviously a very messy process and 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 and, uh, and, and limited in terms of scale. So, um, again, it's it's a question of to what extent these, these these innovations are driven by the need and or or by the available technology and it's definitely a, a combination of two as as um life in the country has become more sophisticated and more um uh devoted to impressing uh your guests with house parties and so on therefore you were getting um uh more elaborate meals and therefore you needed greater a range of of of, of types of types of cooking so you had to have pastry ovens for uh for, for all the delicate pastries and and uh, um and then you you, you got the innovator sort of lots of different vegetables and fish and so on all being cooked on on what we, the kitchen range as we would recognize it now which is solid coal fired range which was a development really um from the um, early 19th century again as, as as manufacturing technologies and use of cast iron became uh, more sophisticated you could make more sophisticated uh, cooking appliances kitchen ranges for heating things um but but still the, the you know that the, the centerpiece of the, of, of the meals the big pieces of meat and, and game and so on were, would have been cooked in front of still in front of um uh open 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 fire and that's also why you go to so many of these houses today, as you point out in the book, and you'll see this juxtaposition of technologies, which is not a, 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 an error or a misunderstanding, but reflected the fact that in, say, uh, 1880, you would still have the the, the open fire, the, and the open range, yes. and the closed range yes. all sitting in the same room. Absolutely, yes. People would not would would not have contemplated doing without the 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 open roasting range really through until um, uh, the the early part of the twentieth century. Really, as as uh, tastes changed, 
uh, and, and to some extent, uh, cooking appliances probably got uh, got better. The control was their 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 temperature control was better, uh, so things perhaps uh, tasted better. Uh, another uh, aspect of of uh, food preparation technology that you describe is refrigeration, and mm-hmm. you, you go into the, the the way they used to refrigerate things. And what was interesting is, as you described, the technology of shall we say artificial refrigeration really. Uh, it, uh, improves in the middle of the 19th century. And yet you quote, and I, I love this quote, this one uh, manual or article in which they were saying as, as late as around 1900, well, this refrigeration thing is a bit of a fad. No, you know, country house really need adopt it. <laughs> yes. Well, again, uh, people relied on, 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 on old labor intensive technology, which was, you know, you, you, you collect the ice, Every winter, and you fill fill the ice house, and then you then you can use the ice to to to, to keep um, so to to use in chilling cabinets, basically to keep things cold. Um, and of course, I mean that 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 they were uh, that that because these the these um, uh, states were self sufficient, they were eating their eating their own meat. They were often eating the fish that been you know that been uh, um, caught in their own lakes and, and and rivers and so on so so the 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 needs for, for preserving food for long period you know, fresh food in that way for long periods is, is not not as we would see it today but even so um you know they they, they the, the the processes they were using were were relatively um you know went back date back to uh to to, to pre you know to, to sort of Roman times or whatever, with with just just uh, harvesting and storing ice and using it when you needed it. Um, very, uh, it's very relatively um, uh, few country houses uh, adopted refrigeration, uh, and that, that that was it was it was not at all common. Uh, even 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 when electricity became available, electric uh, electric electrically powered refrigerators were. Um, Still, you know, still not common, and, and probably in, until um, in the nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties. And that gets to an aspect of this dynamic of technological uh, transition that you uh, point to occasionally in the book, which is that a lot of these older technologies were perfectly usable; they already had them set up. So why would they go through the expense of adopting new ones, especially when? they are facing expenditures in terms of other technologies elsewhere. You see this, for example, with lighting in, in your book, yes. how you describe how quickly they go from candles to gas to electricity and how each mm. one, each transition requires uh, sometimes a very considerable expenditure. Indeed. I mean, that in that case, they, 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 they were achieving results that couldn't have been achieved by the old, the old means, if you like, um, um, to some extent. Um, certainly, what, one, once the, 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 the crucial invention for lighting, in a sense, was, was the argand oil lamp, um, which which is, is often forgotten. And that that de- for, for people who could afford um, lamp oil, uh, th- that was that was quite a, a successful technology. And and the gas lighting, which which, which um, uh, gen- in a lot of circumstances came along afterwards, was no better. But it was a lot cheaper, so uh, that, and it was more convenient to. to and, and but but um, people still continued to use oil lighting uh, and candles in their um, in, in in their grander rooms for because because of the problems with get, get, burning gas gives off um, noxious fumes, which you don't get so much with with candles and oil lamps. You also quote you also quote contemporaries talking about how they simply preferred the lighting of yes. of of uh, oil lamps in terms of how people appear in it as opposed to the harsher light and i was thinking about how sometimes people complain about fluorescence today for the same reason yes it's interesting it's interesting particularly as as actually the early gaslighting was 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 not not that harsh it's certainly true with ele- uh, very true with with early electric lighting until people learned to uh, to sort of you know to, to use it more creatively and to use it more decoratively and to make lighting um, more, um, uh, uh, more, more, um, uh, subdued and, uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, and less, less intrusive. But yes, there was, a, there was, there was certainly a factor that, that, uh, um, the grand dinner, grand dinner party was, uh, and, and even to this day, to some extent, um, best lit with candles because it, uh, it, it increased the sort of ambience and the, and, and the, 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 the uh, 
the, the the spectacle of the occasion as much as anything, rather than having all this all this um, um, bright light. But um, but to some extent, the 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 the, the technology, uh, both with, with 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 gaslighting and electricity, enabled uh, levels of lighting to be achieved. Uh, much uh, much greater levels of lighting to be achieved, and, and so work you know for, for practical purposes, particularly in in service areas and actually outdoors uh, and, and the estate was 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 was, a, was an important factor. And yet, I, I just you have these pictures of both uh, uh, contemporary and, and modern day pictures of the machinery involved. They would have to as you were saying earlier, build their own gas works, install their own generators, and how in sometimes they were being called up in, in some houses that had been what we nowadays would refer to as early adopters, brought in gas uh, at an early point. Within a generation, they're now have this alternative, yes. and, and yes. to be fair, uh, perhaps this is unfair, but more faddish uh, yes. you know, idea of electricity. So they have to basically take out the gas works, put in the electricity. Yes, absolutely, uh, and 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 that yes, that was within the space of 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 twenty years in in some cases. So you you know you had you you had to then um, having having um, did, uh, sort of disturbed the fabric of your house to put pipes in for, for for the gas lighting. You then do it again for putting in the the wiring for the electric lighting. So, but but it was it electric lighting was was it very much um, uh, a fashion, uh, and and again it was it was because of the cost of the, the, the plant and the, and, and the people to run it and, and, and the, the fittings. It was another, another demonstration of your, uh, of your wealth and sophistication. If you could, um, if you, if you could have uh, electric lighting, some people, did, some people actually just installed electric lighting temporarily for, um, you know, for a special occasion. If they're in the grand ball, they would, they would, they would light the light bits of the house and the gardens temporarily. And then, 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 then it would all get taken away again. Is there any, uh, archaeological remnant of it like do they install the machine in a particular location and just simply uh dismantle it and reinstall it when they had another party or uh do they simply have a a plant in place and just leave it disused for the long periods of time where they didn't want it uh, now the, these early these early we're talking about a brief period really before before people decided that actually electricity electric lighting was something that they needed on long a permanent basis at which point they they invested in their own plant but for a brief period around 1880 um, you, 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 you had um, uh, companies who would come along with, you know, with, with a, 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 a generator plant on wheels, basically, you know, um, and, and, uh, uh, and, and wire it all up and then uh, take it all down again and, and drive away. Are there any, examples, sometimes, are there any examples sorry. of that available today in uh, museums? Because I, I, I must confess, mm. I've, I'd, I'd never you know, heard about this technology until now. No, not really. No, obviously, because, you know, it, it is it was, you know, the idea was, it, you know, it, it, it came and it went. Um, so it's it's a facet which isn't really really su- surviving. But of course, the same sorts of systems were used for things like uh, you know um, uh, fairgrounds, uh, you know. So so um, uh, the, the, the 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 types of equipment that they were, they were using um, were uh, survived on uh, and, and probably still preserved with with fairground engines and things like that. That you had a steam uh, a, a, a steam powered vehicle with with a dynamo on it that would. Would would um, generate electricity to light, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, a few rooms. So it's that sort of technology. But that's so it still survives, but in another context. Another aspect of technology that we uh, indelibly associate with uh, the 19th century are uh, railways. And one of the what was interesting uh, parts of the book for, to me was the number of estates that had some form of rail transportation put in over the course of the 19th century. And a lot of this, as you describe is has more to do with estate operation, but still it's yes. fascinating to think about how many of these estates had in, in, in essence, their own you know, railway services available to them. Yes. I mean, you should emphasize these, these are, these are man hauled almost um, uh, with, with one of, one or two exceptions we're talking about, but we're talking, but that's the sort of the sort of um, rail technology that was used in in, in coal mines, for example. At the, at the time, you just just had little narrow, narrow um, railways with uh, trucks which were pushed by um, by people or sometimes hauled by by animals, um, and 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 sometimes these were underground because you know, especially if they were in the uh, in, in in the gardens, they were uh, the idea was that you moved goods around um, coal particularly, but other things as well, um, 
uh, invisibly because we didn't, want, we didn't particularly want your 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 guests to be seeing the the, the, the coal being delivered to the, to the boilers. So you put a put a little tunnel in, and it, and uh, you 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 brought the coal in on little on little railway trucks. Uh, I was thinking they they probably were were very insistent that. You know, this is not a Royal Navy ship. They don't want to see people, you know, shoveling coal into the furnaces. <laughs> no, that's right. It's all, it, the idea is it's all it's all hiding, hidden, hidden away, um, and uh, and and move, moving moving the goods happens invisibly. The food arrives, you know, um, hope you hope still warm, um, uh, invisibly from the kitchens uh, and so on. So yes, it's 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 about um, uh, demonstration, the sophistication of of your of your household. This uh, the, you raise another interesting point that you address uh, uh, in at the end of the book, which is this idea of technology transfer. Because what we're seeing is during this industrial era, the, this as this technology is developing the ways in which it's being adapted i was wondering if you could speak more to this the degree to which was it entirely a one-way process for example or were sometimes people adopting innovations and so impressed by them they were uh introducing them into their into their businesses or investing in them more because of the uh, the proof of concept if you will yeah the the sort of tracing the, the 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 transfer of technology um uh, from you know from from region to region from person to person or from from one context industrial context to a domestic one is it's quite difficult um you know that, that there there's very little source material to uh, um uh, to, to to guide us in this respect um and uh, uh one thing one thing you do find in the the 19th century is the growth of um of uh, printed sources of 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 journals of um uh, sort of on technological subjects um right from perhaps from the end of the 18th century onwards uh so you do get um a share you know sharing of, of information through through the uh through the print print media if you like increasingly um through the 19th century um uh but um some of the uh some some of the pioneers of of domestic technology were uh, prominent industrialists, and you can see that they're using technology that they would have been familiar with in their in their factories. The first that the house the, the house that had the first passenger lift um, or, or any type of lift um, in certainly in in Britain, um, well, no longer sadly no longer standing, was built by um, a, a owner of a, an iron iron company, uh, and he was making obviously they were making. Um, uh, Sort of pipe work and 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 and, and uh, are probably almost certainly using hydraulic equipment in their in their works. So uh, so you know it was a natural extension for him to say I want it in my house. Uh, but that's that. You know, so, so there are examples like that. But that's not you know that's not necessarily um, the whole picture, and it's not even necessarily a typical picture. But if you then somebody somebody has then got that technology other people will you know that their neighbors who might not be from an industrial background will visit and they will say oh right okay so who do i talk to about this but it is very difficult sometimes to to to, to trace the trace the evolution of technology towards the end uh of the 19th century with electricity you you you, you can do it we you know we, we was lots, lots of uh, lots of correspondence between um directly between um uh um you know some, some of some of these um uh uh, aristocratic people like Lord Salisbury, who was um, prime minister twice um, in, in, in Victorian times, and he was quite an enthusiast for electric lighting. So he corresponded directly with Joseph Swan, who was the man who made the first um, uh, um, working electric light bulb. It wasn't just for your American American uh, listeners. It wasn't Thomas Edison. It was <laughs> Joseph Swan. Um, but anyway, um, Joseph Swan just got the patent first. He got the patent before he actually made a successful example. But you know, I think that was perhaps the, the, the smart way around of doing it. But um, so, you know, there is there, you can see the correspondence between people and, and the, the, the Duke of Marlborough at Blenheim um, was, was co- actually corresponded corresponded with um with edison um uh, uh in in america about about their you know details of electric lighting systems so these people who are you know from uh long established aristocratic families uh in in some cases were very much interested in technology of the age and they would you know that they were um meeting with and, and writing to uh the, the technocrats um to 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 get advice as, as, as to how to proceed 
And as you describe, there's another aspect of this as well, which is the degree to which these uh, early adopters, these uh, uh, aristocrats with who are willing to do this, become uh, advertisements for uh, the manufacturers. So they can, as you describe, they oftentimes they'll point to, well, Lord some such and Lord thus and so has this, and and yes. so you should put it in your home as well. Yes, you, uh, one of the fascinating things is to look at the uh, look at the the, the 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 brochures and the catalogs produced by some of the companies selling selling like uh, for like lighting equipment or water pumping equipment and and, and other things agricultural machinery. Um, their brochures always always include uh, or often include. Uh, at the back, a list of the, a list of their customers, and, the, and 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 one of the fascinating things about this is it's very it's very sort of hierarchical. You start off with you know royalty and the and the uh, uh, the, the dukes and and so on, and then you work your way down the sort of the the um, the, the, the peerage uh, to to the people who are you know just MPs and and, and right honourables and things, um, uh, and and then laymen. You know, it's uh, it, it, it's it's very they're very hierarchical. You start off with the you know, really um, um, the 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 people at the at the top of uh, the the, uh, the the society uh first of all that you that was very much an, a 19th century uh advertising ploy you would you would want to 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 shout about all the uh, the, the the important people who'd bought your products it, it just strikes me as as so familiar to us today whereas nowadays it's you know your your pop celebrities back then it was your aristocrats but it was you know it, it, that that form of advertising does seem to be sort of interwoven into our society, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. That's right. They were they they were the people who were in the papers. Yes, not they didn't have any didn't have any rivals in those days. Certainly not rivals who could afford to uh, it, it, you know that level of investment. No, uh, uh, only then as in, in the nineteenth century you do get you do get the wealthy industrialists who, who or, the, or very often the, the, the children the grandchildren of the wealthy industrialists sometimes who, um, who who want to become country gentlemen and will and will take on the the mantle of of, of, of the of, of the country gentlemen and will uh, so they they will be you know that they, they will take on that role because they've taken on the estate and therefore they are their local uh, you know their the local landowner. Well, we've taken up a lot of your time, but before we go, could you tell us what you're working on now? I'm well. The the, the technology that the country has technology project is still um, uh, sort of alive. The, the 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 book was a distillation of um, about um, four years of, of, of fairly active research uh, going around um, to about a hundred houses and 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 doing a lot of research in in others uh, of other sources, but. Um, so the book has distilled that, but um, we we are still working with various um, either heritage bodies uh, and house owners to to help them uh, under, uh, interpret and understand the remains that they've got. So so you know we're using the the the, the knowledge that we've we've gained to help uh, uh, with the restoration of, uh, uh, of features within houses and their interpretation. So, so that's one aspect of it. We're still doing a lot of, um, a lot of outreach work with, uh, with, with going around and lecturing to people and running tours around houses and so on. So the country house work is still, um, still very um, uh, active, albeit on a, on a lower level than it was why we were doing the, the research for the book and then writing it. <clears throat> I'm, I'm my, my, my project, I've just, just another finished is, is looking at um, um, uh, mechanics institutes which is a type of building that uh, grew up in the 19th century for the education of um, um, working people uh, before uh, you know state uh, funded adult education was available and, and they, they exist in America as well of course uh, mechanics institutes very much a, a product of the sort of again the industrialization so that's a little project I've just been working on um, and um, uh, Marilyn uh, is probably more involved still with country house technology than I am because she she does a lot of a lot of lecturing to uh, to specialist special interest groups and um, and she's running more tours than I am at the moment so um, so her although she's involved with many other aspects of archaeology as well I would say you know, country house technology is probably still her um, uh, main focus in her retirement um, and uh, let, just less to a less extent for me I'm I'm still doing a bit. Well, it's a topic that seems like the the depths of which are only just now being plumbed. I look forward to seeing more work on it.
Oh, thank you. I mean, what we'd really like is some, somebody to cough up some money so that we could come and uh, come and look at some American examples. And when I my, in my occasional um, uh, holidays in, in America, I go to uh, um, places like uh, like Jefferson's house, Monticello, and uh, and look because he was he was he was he was an important figure, of course, Thomas Jefferson, um, and influenced the design of uh, you know the fireplaces all uh, that came over here and, and other things. And uh, but uh, so. Uh, um, there's there, there, there's a lovely piece lots of lots of work we could do if if somebody would somebody would <laughs> come and pay us to come over to america for a bit that would be good <laughs> <laughs> well uh best of luck with that uh ian west <laughs> th- thank you for taking some time out of your schedule today to speak with us i hope you have a wonderful day thank you very much it was great i enjoyed it